past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant. We're glad that you've joined us here today. This is your host, Marie Zimanoff, and we are here to help you get the tools and resources that you need to take control of your career, or perhaps for some of our listeners today, to help your students, your clients, and your your children take control of their career because, of course, today our topic is entry-level careers and how to find the best fit as you're starting off your career. Today, we're excited to have our, our guest, Dr. Curtis Odom, with us. And he is a specialist in this area of entry-level careers, bringing a unique background. You know, a lot of times my colleagues that work in the universities, that's their life, that's their passion. They've been there and, and been dedicated to that. And he brings a unique background because he was in talent in the corporate world before he went into working at the university environment. So a little bit of a unique background here to put the two pieces together. How do our entry level and and new graduate careerists launch into the the career world? And let's get some advice from someone who's been on the other side of the table in that talent acquisition role. So Dr. Autumn, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you so much. Great intro. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yes. So as we know, students are struggling a little bit, even though there are lots of open positions and they maybe are finding work quickly. It's not what they thought they'd be doing, or perhaps it's not what they want to be doing. And they're struggling to find those good fit positions. And so I'm excited to hear from you today, some of your feedback on that. And when they are first starting out, tell us a little bit about how you help students look for that right company at the very beginning. How do they get a good start? Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I ha- as you mentioned in the intro, I have a unique perspective in the fact of, you know, in, in my role as a, an executive professor of management at the business school at Northeastern University here in Boston, Northeastern is, is very unique in the fact of our students have the opportunity to go on co-ops, a cooperative education throughout their college um, career. So, for instance, Northeastern traditionally is a five-year program where you would have three six-month co-ops where you would work with companies um, in the space where you think that you would want to go for your career, certainly the ones that you have connected to your major that you've studied. And what I found probably in my, I would say my, my second semester of teaching there is that my students were coming to me and asking me questions, Marie, and it wasn't about the assignment. It wasn't about an upcoming paper. It was more about, Professor, you know, I've got this interview coming up with this company that, you know, my parents tell me that I should be dying to work for, but I don't feel like it's the right place for me. Or they're offering me an opportunity that doesn't really seem like it's aligned with what I want to do. Sure, it's connected to my major, but it's not what I want to do. And the third thing I hear often, Marie, is that, you know, they're offering me, you know, a salary that is, you know, less than it's costed me for a single year to attend the university. So, those three things are what I find my students are struggling with the most. 
Yeah, interesting. So they're getting opportunities, but it's not a good fit or the salaries not competitive or not um, what they were expecting. And yeah. as they face those issues, especially let's start with kind of finding that right fit. How do you help right. steer them towards finding the right fit? So we spend a lot of time in, in, in the class that I teach. I teach organizational behavior. And, you know, at Paramount, front and center in that course is corporate culture and trying to understand you know, are you walking into an environment, you know, from the interview? Because I think that students today are savvy enough to know that as much as the organization is interviewing them, they should be interviewing the organization, asking questions around, you know, what would my workday be like? You know, what kind of projects would I get to contribute on? Um, what, what would my first six months of work look like? Who in the company would I have exposure to? These are some of the questions that these very savvy students are walking into the interview and are asking. And based upon the answer from the interviewer, and as you mentioned, I've been on the other side of the table. I know for a fact that sometimes the person that's doing the interviewing for the company might just be the person who had the, you know, the lightest schedule that afternoon and was said, you know, listen, can you go and do some interviews? Here's a script. Um, here's what we want to know from the candidates. But the students are, you know, the, the, the folks are coming out, your entry-level um, associates, entry-level employees, they're listening for not only what is the answer, but how is the answer um, that they're getting back from those questions. And if the interviewer or the hiring manager isn't giving across that feeling that, you know, on day one, you know, we're going to be interested in what you think. We're going to be setting you up for having a career path, which I know are two hot words that everyone uses. But if the, the new hire doesn't feel like they're going to have a place where they can come in and be able to add value in the short order, that's sending up red flags for them that it might, might, might not be the place that they should think about going for their first opportunity. Yeah, and this is a challenging place for the student to be, right? I mean, we give that advice to everyone who we talk to that's interviewing, that they should interview the company, be excited about the culture. But then a lot of times when we hear that said about young people, they shift into, well, they should just be happy to have a job and they should just do their job. And of course, that doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't. And, and here, here's an interesting little dichotomy, and, and I laugh about this with some of my colleagues, is that, you know, many of the folks, I'm a Gen Xer by, you know, by generational, you know, placement. So I, I have a lot of my clients and a lot of folks that I work with, and even some of my colleagues that I teach with are all baby boomers. And I often hear, you know, blanket statement, of course, but I often hear baby boomers lamenting about, you know, the way that millennials or, quote, unquote, these kids are coming into the office or into the workplace you know, making their demands known, really asking for what they want up front instead of being content to just have a job and go with the flow until, you know, time sets itself up for them to be able to contribute. But what's interesting, Marie, is that these are also the same young men and women they go home and have dinner with because, by and large, the baby boomers are the parents of the millennials. So it's funny to me to watch one group, you know, lament about these kids today but then go home to those same kids and say, listen, you know, you want to be asking for what you want, you want to be upfront, you want to be driven, you want to be able to contribute, you need to be asking the questions, they're going to give you an insight. So it, it's very funny to me in the fact of in one moment the behaviors are applauded, but in another moment they're actually, um, you know, people are chastising, you know, our new workforce entrance for coming and being ultimately what we've told them to be. So I think it really boils down to something that I have discovered, that today's workplace is really not ready for today's workforce. 
Well, and that people really haven't changed that much. And the world of work hasn't, it's changed, but everybody wants meaning. Everybody's always wanted meaning. Every boomer that I talk to wants meaning, right? And they Mm -hmm. want to contribute in a meaningful way. And they have this idea that they at some point just had a job and got a job and worked a job and didn't care. And that was not, I don't, I just don't believe that that was ever true because that's not what I see in human nature. Human nature is for people to want to contribute and human nature is for people to want to have a valuable role. Now that doesn't mean you need to be the CEO, which we hear a lot with millennials, you know, they want to be the CEO. Like, no, they just want to have a meaningful role. And, And my guess is that you all did as well, even at the very beginning of your career, because that is human nature. Sure. I think, you know, ultimately, as I, as I mentioned to folks, so that we all want the same four things when we go to work. I mean, we want to feel welcomed. We want to feel valued. We want to be able to contribute. And, and this workforce, more than ever, wants to be their authentic self. The only difference between those who have been in the workforce, you know, longer than the folks who are coming in is that, you know, by and large, many of those who have been in the workforce for a while, when we came in and we wanted those things, we were content to wait until the organization gave them to us. We were waiting around to see, you know, I'm going to prove myself, I'm going to you know, work, I'm going to try to add value, and hopefully if I spend enough time and impress the right people over that time, that I'll get this opportunity, you know, to contribute those things, that, you know, to find those things that Dan Fink talks about so often, which are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And we were content to wait for that. Today's workforce is not content to wait because they want to know if they have the opportunity to get those things you know, in advance. So they're, they're more vocal about their desires. And it's not anything that is different. It's not the what that they want. It's just how open they are to sharing with you that this is why they're coming on board and they're looking for you to help them figure out and navigate their way through this opportunity. It's going to give them exposure to the CEO. Maybe they don't want to be the CEO, but they want to have exposure. They want to be seen. They want to yeah. come into a place that looks like it's ready for them to be there. Well, and they saw their parents not get that, right? You sit back and you wait forever and you think, oh, if I try harder and work harder and work more hours, and it it doesn't always work. In fact, most of the time it doesn't work, right? So they want to know the secret to get there. And uh, I know part of that is how they get started and how they get started in, in the student world a lot of times is an internship. So we are... Uh, just a few minutes away from break, but let's get started in this conversation a little bit. How can they make the most of a, a bad internship or, you know, maybe a bad co-op experience where they're not getting what they wanted or maybe even a bad first job? My guess is that some of those have parallels. Sure. And that's a great question. And what I would say is I try to help the students realize that even if from an experience perspective, you know, you had a bad, you know, bad co-op or bad internship, I asked them to think very much about what did you learn while you were there? What did you come away from that internship or co-op knowing for yourself what you would do and what you would like to do, but also to take an inventory for the things that you saw that say, you know what, I don't want to do that for my career. I don't want to have a work day like that. And I've been telling students that it's as important to know what you want out of a career. Yeah, that's great. But it's also equally, if not more important, to know what you do not want. And if you can at least think about, you know, I don't want to spend a day at work that looks like this, then as opportunities come your way, you'll choose not to go that way. Because I think much of what happens, students feel empowered, you know, helplessly empowered to take the first opportunity that comes their way that seems like it's going to pay the most amount of money. 
And as we know, that does not always lead to a path of success. Yeah, there's that um, pressure to take something. And I know this Generation Z knows also is a pet peeve when people are talking about all oh, these millennials. I'm like, well, actually, the people who are gener- graduating right now are, right. are not millennials anymore. <laughs> um, That's exactly and right. Generation Z, from what I've read, and, you know, they're still fresh on the market. So there's still some things that people aren't knowing yet about them. But they are into financial stability financial stability is important to them so they might be even more uh, likely to choose something that's not necessarily a good fit because they do want that financial stability and we have to be careful of of that pressure that's on them as well that's true And and i think what goes along with that is that while they do want the financial stability and i and i have the the good fortune of having you know 90 gen z students every semester uh on campus I get a chance to hear what these young men and women are talking about. And they talk about their co-ops and internships rather openly when they think that no one's listening. And what I hear them saying is the fact that the person that they're working for, you know, that they don't necessarily have a, a, a level of connection to that person. And that's what really is the, the disappointing thing for them is that they took this job because they need to make money to pay back, you know, their student loans. And they want to take a job that basically you know, looking at how much they're compensated gives them a relative sense of their value to the organization. Um, and when they come in, sure, they want the financial stability, but they also want to go to work every day and have fun. And I think that's the schism. They want to go to work every day and have fun and contribute. But they also want to have some type of financial stability. And I think what has ended up happening is now, more than ever, you're starting to see the students that are coming out, these Gen Z students, who are very interested in the whole gig economy and trying to figure out you know, can I pick up a project or a handful of projects that allow me to contribute right now in a skill set that I have or allow me to get exposure to a skill set I'm trying to grow? And you know what? I'll not take your benefits and I'll not take the corporate office, but just give me more money because right now I can feel more financially stable with four or five gigs that pay really well than one full-time job where I don't really feel like I'm part of the culture. Yeah, yeah, what a challenge, and a very similar challenge that that some of those at the end of their career are facing. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, continue talking to Dr. Odom about how our new graduates can launch a career successfully. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. 
Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to make a difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice America. America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we're talking with Dr. Curtis Odom about students and new graduates launching into their careers. And we've been talking a little bit about how they can find the right fit. And perhaps as parents and advisors and coaches, we need to be um, allowing them to do the same things we would coach any other client to do and interview that company, be, be careful about the culture that they choose even though they do need a job and and perhaps we might think, you know, they should just take a job and be happy with it. We don't think that about most of our other clients. So we've got to be careful with that um, entitlement discussion that we might have among ourselves and putting that pressure on these students to do that when we know the, the best interviews and the best decisions are made when that person feels like they have some power and some discernment and get to make that choice about where they work. So thinking about that and and having our young people go into interviews. And as you said at the very beginning, Dr. Odom, sometimes the person interviewing them is not trained, not experienced, not ready to to interview. How do we help these young people be more successful in, in a bad interview? When things aren't going well, what can they do to turn it around? Yeah, that That is a great question and, and one that I get asked often. So I'll, I will give you um, what I share with the students who come to me. And the fact of what, to me, makes a bad interview is when you're sitting there and the student feels like, you know, that they have wasted their time and are feeling like they've wasted someone else's time. And the fact of there's not really a connection, there's not really a match. And I think what happens for a lot of instances is that students, I tell them, you know, they should be going in prepped not to answer questions per se, but be able to tell a story and tell a story of what they would do with the opportunity, what they would like to do in the company. And I tell them to think about, instead of going in and waiting to hear what the company is going to do to you or do for you, come in ready to talk about what you're going to bring to the company on day one. Come in and talk about the 
you know, why you want the opportunity. I and mean, it can't be about, I want to get paid, of course, but it should be about, you know, I really want to expand my knowledge in investment banking. You know, I really want to contribute from, you know, I really want to dive deep into blockchain and supply chain. And I really want to have someone who can mentor me and coach me and, and grow my knowledge, skill, and my ability. I think even when the interview is going bad, Maria, somebody could bring that back to maybe the interviewer isn't asking behavioral interviewing questions. The student can offer a behavioral footprint for how they would show up on day one, what they would bring to the table, and what the company would get for hiring them and bringing them in. That's one of the ways to kind of turn an interview that's rather stale or flat into one where the interviewer, skilled or not, can say, I really was impressed by that young woman. She gave me an insight of what kind of person, what kind of you know, leader from where they are, what kind, of, you know, what kind of employee they would be coming into the organization. Sometimes I could turn a, you know, a sad interview into a really good one. Yeah, so they can be prepared to give behavioral answer questions, even if the person isn't asking those, so they can talk about experiences that they've had. And I know a lot of times students struggle with that because, of course, a lot of their experience might be classroom-based. And I've got to say that I love that in the last 10 years, you know, the universities have moved so much more to project-based work and activities and experiences that really do give the students stories that they can tell, even if they happened within a, a classroom setting. Right. And another thing that, that students can do, and I've recommended, is that, you know, it's, it starts with that resume. And we all know that the resume gets you the interview, and it's really the interview that gets you the job. But even in those bad co-ops and bad internships, Marie, I, I take the students and I say, listen, go through and think about what did you learn? Not whether or not you had fun, not whether or not it was cool, what did you learn? What did you see? What are you now able to do or appreciate or speak to that you couldn't before you took that co-op and an internship? And rewrite, rewrite your resume, talking about what have you learned, weaving those different pieces into it, weaving into it some of the things that you saw, not using the words or was responsible for or, or witnessed or things of that nature, but talk about what they actually did in that co-op. Talk about what they actually did in that uh, internship. And if you put that into your resume, you're already helping the interviewer go through and give you really questions that you have to answer from your experience. And, and most interviews, when you have new hires coming in, as you know, that you know the resume is what we're looking at. We're asking them questions based upon their resume, asking them based upon you know their experience at university. Well, if the resume is written for each unique job opportunity or re- each unique job posting, and you're putting on there the things that you learned working at you know, working in retail, you know, if it's customer service or customer satisfaction, customer retention, put those pieces into the resume so that when the interviewer is sitting there looking at it, they're saying, okay, not only do I see where this person worked and what they did, but I can also read between the lines and see what they learned and how they might want to bring that along with them to this opportunity if we were to hire them. Yeah, and getting those stories down into the resume, then you're prepared to tell them in the interview, which is what I always tell, you know, students, anyone who's working on their resume, that these stories we're going to put into a little tiny bullet on your resume, but those are the stories that you already want prepared anyways for the the interview. So it's really two birds, one stone, which we got to love when people can do that and get lots of value out of the work that they need to do to prepare for both of those things, their resume and their interview. Yeah. And so I also thinking tell students to be ready for the interview to even if they're not asked this question, but be ready to to offer, you know, what type of what type of energy 
do they bring to the team? What does the team get for bringing them on? Are they getting someone who is curious? Are they getting someone who is passionate about the work, who really wants to learn? Because a major differentiator is that, you know, some of the folks who come in are very interested in telling you about what they want to do um, in terms of a position or a title. If you come and talk about what you want to learn, breadth and scope, that is a much more, you know, has much more resonance to the interviewer because as we know, organizations are a lot flatter. There are not a lot of quote unquote positions to go around, but there is a lot of growth laterally for knowledge, skill and ability growing. So if a, a new hire can come in and outline for the interviewer, you know, what they want to learn, what they want to experience, where they want to grow as opposed to what position they want to have or, you know, what part of the organization they want to move into. That allows the interviewer to hear the main word that many companies are looking for in their new hires, which is adaptability. And I think if you could come in as a new hire um, and give that to the interviewer, that has a long way to go for you. And it could get you called back for that second interview because it's talking about a competency rather than an achievement. Yes, yes. And then it helps them see where you are headed and and what your ambition is. And, you know, as we were talking earlier, there's some practice and prep there to make sure the student doesn't sound like or doesn't come across, especially to a boomer interviewer, as not being happy with that job that they're interviewing for and just wanting something more, but also to not be afraid to show that they're interested in other things and that they are um, coachable, right? There's that's there's that yes. coachability factor that hopefully a good manager is looking for. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't feel this way, but I would say to a student, if you're going to talk about your ambitions and, and where you want to go and what you want to learn and, and someone sees that as uh, a negative, then it's probably not a good place for you to be and that's okay. Yes. I absolutely agree with you. And, and a question I have given to some students to ask is that when they do have the opportunity to sit with a person who they believe is going to be their hiring manager, to ask the question of, you know, if I have the opportunity to work for you, you know, what are the three top things that I would learn from you in my first six months? And I could, that could put the, the hiring manager, yes, it could put them on the defensive and it could catch them off guard. But I think that's kind of a good thing. Because each leader should be thinking about the fact of our job as leaders is to grow other leaders. And if we have this young man or young woman sitting in front of us asking us, hey, if I stick around for six months or a year, you know, what, is the, what are the top three things or the number one thing that I would learn from you as my leader that will help me grow and mature along my career journey? That, to me, is an A-plus question that really separates the committed from the compliant, if you will, in terms of coming into the workforce. I love it. Well, Curtis, I'm going to have you share with people how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow the other work that you're doing. What do they need to know to to stay connected to you and learn more from you? Sure. Thank you for that. Um, you can always look for me on LinkedIn. You'll find me as, as Curtis L. Odom EDD out on LinkedIn. Or you can come to um, our website, which is www.stuckonstartcoaching, all one word, .com, and you'll get a chance to see some of the work we're doing with companies to help them get ready as a workplace for this workforce that we've just been discussing. Oh, that's great work that you're doing. So they can get a hold of you at Dr. Curtis Odom. And again, that's O-D-O-M on LinkedIn. And of course, uh, same on Twitter. And then Stuck on Start Coaching 
all one word there is your your website. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Curtis. You just great information about this new generation that's coming out, how to help them be successful and really give them the opportunity that we would give to any other job seeker to find that right fit, find a good place to start, because we know if they don't get started on the right foot, it's going to be hard for them to grow their career in the direction that they want to grow. So thank you so much for joining us here today. And if you you are listening, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah. If you're listening, we're going to come back and continue this conversation, uh, just you and I, uh, you listener and myself. So we'll say goodbye to Dr. Odom, but we'll continue on here on The Career Confidant. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you again. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you tapped your full potential as a leader? Sometimes you have to go a little deeper and connect with your inner force. Join host Angela King as she invites you to discover something that already lies within you and helps you become a better leader. Your most important connection is the one you have with yourself. It's time to connect, ignite, and rise. It's time for Inner Force. Tune in live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant, and today we are talking about entry-level careers. We just had Dr. Curtis Odom with us sharing about his work with students who are going into the workforce and helping them make a good decision, find a right fit on their first opportunity. And of course, if we're working with students in this arena, our challenge is to help them balance 
what what again any candidate would want to do, which is interview the company, make sure it's going to be a good fit, make sure they're going to have the opportunities that they need and enjoy the boss they work with, right? We know the number one reason people leave jobs is because they, they don't get along with their boss. And we want to set these young people up, or perhaps you are one of them who's listening. You want to set yourself up for a good first experience because we don't want you know, to have to leave really quickly. We don't want to be dissatisfied in that job. We don't want to not have the opportunities that we're looking for in a job, no matter what age we are, no matter what um, role in our career we're, we're in. We want to do our best to try to find something that is a good fit. And of course, balancing that with reality and what does that look like? And we all have to have that conversation with ourselves. What are we willing to compromise? What are we willing to give up um, to make sure that we're not being overly, you know, we're not putting up all these requirements that then make it impossible to actually find something that fits them. And we all have to make compromises. I'll have to make that decision about, do I take this job um, even though it's not exactly what I want because it pays well? Do I take this job because it's exactly what I want even though it doesn't pay as well? You should be having those discussions um, with your closest confidants, your coaches, your your maybe your parents, you know, depending on, on how that, that conversation goes with them. Those are decisions that every job seeker needs to be making and needs to be aware of when again you're you're willing to wait it out for the most perfect thing and if you're already employed that can that can be a possibility but if you're looking for a job if you're unemployed any job seeker is going to have to make those compromises and in fact our research shows that DeVry Career Advisory Board does a research around successful job seeking and has found not too surprisingly that the people who land fastest and are even actually the most happy still had to make some concessions and were willing to do that instead of waiting for something that was perfect. You know, perfect doesn't exist in a job any more than it exists in, in anything else. So you're doing your research, you're asking these great questions, and Dr. Odom's shared some really good questions. So, you, you know, get the recording, go back and listen to some of those. They're questions we all should be asking in an interview to understand the culture. What What's the company what does the company value? What does that boss value? What are you going to be doing in those those first few months? How will you add value? What what do they, you know, what do you need out of a company? And how can you ask questions around that? No matter what stage of your career you're in, but especially at the beginning of your career to get started on that good foot. We know that, uh, of course, we don't want you to have to job hop every year. The average right now is about every three to four years to change jobs, and we want you to get something out of that first three or four years in your first job. Then to think about how the idea of a career path and career advancement and career growth has shifted to not be thinking so much about a ladder or a path even that you're going to be on. But thinking about this collection of experiences, and and Dr. Odom was also talking about no matter what the experience is, an internship, a co-op, or your first job, or maybe even a job while you're working in college, to really focus on what are you getting out of that experience that you can build on. 
and he was talking about, you know, what are you learning? That's a good way to look at it. What are those experiences that you could have the opportunity to get in that position that will help you move forward and to look for that in every job or volunteer activity that you take on? What is the opportunity within that setting to learn the skills that you need or to build a network that will help you or to, you know, get a new exposure to something that will help you in the in the future. And that's really our job. That's what we're talking about here on this show in terms of taking control of your own career is to take that onus on yourself to look at each experience and find a way to get something out of it. What is going to help you move forward? What is going to be helpful for you in the next experience that you're learning here? And in in almost any experience that you have, you're getting skills that will help you in the future. Customer service, problem solving, dealing with coworkers, dealing with a boss, anything that you are getting, especially in terms of, of the interaction with others, we know is going to be critical in the next job. But then what about those hard skills, computer skills, whatever those might look like that you can take and move forward to the next job. And to be tracking those, writing them down, keeping track of of stories that then you can use later in your interviews on your resume so that you don't have to flounder and dig, but you've, you've kept track of those experiences. So that might be your number one job on an internship, a co-op, or, or a, a job you have while you're in school is to be mindful, watchful, and and recording of those activities, those experiences, and what you've learned, and also what you've done. Because as Dr. Odom was saying, we want to be able to tell those stories on a resume. We don't want to have to, you know, just copy a job description, or list what we should have done, or list skills and and language that everyone else is going to use. We want to be able to talk specifically to what you did in that experience, even if it doesn't seem like it's differentiating or it's any different than what anyone else did. If you at least have something written down, uh, someone can help you frame it and pull out the pieces that might be differentiating, but we've got to have something to work from, to work with, to really understand those stories about how you added value. And to think about what you learn from those experiences in terms of how will that help you be discerning for your next gig, for your next job? What did you learn that you like about a job? What did you learn that you don't like about a job? What did you learn that you like about a manager? What did you learn that you don't like about a manager? It's one of those common and and maybe popular interview questions today is tell me about your favorite manager. Tell me about your least favorite manager. So you want to be thinking about those those interactions, those experiences as you have any kind of job so that you can use those as interview prep, but also as measurements for yourself as you move forward, really understanding what it is that you're looking for, what it is that's going to help you be successful in the next workplace. And that 
that career path is is challenging for all of us today. That idea that we're in charge, that idea that there's no ladder to climb. I saw an article the other day, you know, how to climb the corporate ladder. And I thought, oh, that person's out of touch because that just really doesn't exist anymore. Um, a very few of you, very few of us are in a position where there's a, there's a corporate ladder to climb. And uh, I was hear you know people talking about the gray tsunami which i think finally or silver tsunami i think we finally stopped talking about you know when all the boomers retire there's going to be all these positions is the the boomers are retiring very slowly a lot of them won't be retiring for a while and and there's no ladder to climb so it's up to you to find those experiences that you want to put those experiences together to get the the experience that you need the skills that you need to move forward and it's perfectly okay to be discerning about that even when you're looking for your first job you're still going to have to make concessions you're going to have to do things you don't like to do we all know that you might have to take less money you might have to take a job that's not perfect but you want to be thinking about how will this help me get what i need experience wise so that I can package that and move to the next thing that I want to do. And of course, one of the ways that thankfully our work world has adapted, and especially those of you who are younger in the workforce have some flexibility to take advantage of the the gig economy, doing contracts, doing projects. And as, as we've had a few people on this show talking about those side hustles or opportunities that you can gather that don't have to look like a traditional job or perhaps are on top of your traditional job and you have the opportunity to put those pieces together together to get the experience that you want, to build the, the experience portfolio that you want. So don't be afraid of that. And, and if, uh, you're probably not if you're just starting out in the workforce, but it's more how you communicate it to those people around you. And that's a challenge for all of us uh, who are entrepreneurial. And maybe it's more common now than it used to be, which is nice. I always tell people that, you know, stability looks different to different people. And you may feel stable working for this big company, but the truth is they could lay you off tomorrow and you'd have nothing, right? You'd have, you have one job. And if that one job goes away, you have to start over as an entrepreneur or perhaps as someone who's integrated into the gig economy and doing different contracts, you have stability because you have multiple things so that any one thing, yes, is less stable than this person's full-time job. But if you lose one of those gigs, one of those contracts, you still have the three others that are going and typically more network flexibility um, experience to pick up another one and put it in place where that one just dropped. So it's how you define stability that may be different and how stability looks may be different. And of course, the life matters that we need to figure out, health insurance, all of those pieces that you might get from a company, you'll need to have those figured out. But stability doesn't need to look like it does for your parents for you to have it. There, There are different ways of considering yourself to have that stable employment and a portfolio career, uh, you know, a combination of gigs or contracts 
can be just as stable if you have the system set up to take care of your life, right? And I'm guessing they're most worried about not wanting you to be on their insurance forever. (laughs) Those very practical things in life. And can you negotiate gigs and contracts that are lucrative enough that you can take care of that for yourself? And that's where stability is going to come and what that might look like for you. So we're going to take another short break here. And when we come back, talk a little bit about interviewing and finish up our conversation about how you can turn a bad interview into a successful interview and how you can negotiate salary, yes, even for that very first job. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us here at The Career Confidant. Today, we have been talking with Dr. Curtis Odom about how to launch that entry-level career. Of course, a lot of these pearls of wisdom are are helpful for at any level of your career. And we've talked a little bit about how you don't want to take that job just to to take a job, even if you're feeling pressure from other people that, that you should just take a job. We have to weigh those 
decisions. Make sure that we're not being overly, um, you know, that we're not putting up barriers just to prevent movement, but that we are thinking about what the trade-offs are, what trade-offs we're willing to make, and of course, being realistic about the fact that we will have to, t- to make some trade-offs, but that we don't want to step into an organization that's not a good fit, or a position where the boss is, is not going to be a good fit, or where we're not getting an experience that can help us move in the direction we want to move in our career. Along with that same thought line is the idea of negotiating salary. You know, during the recession, a lot of people felt like they couldn't negotiate salary, that they had too many people lined up for the job, and if I try to negotiate salary, they'll just offer it to someone else. And in some ways, that may have been true. Now the tides have turned, and there is an opportunity for candidates to negotiate salary, no matter what level they're at. People are expecting it. Your hiring managers are expecting it. And it it is okay for you to have that conversation, even at your first job interview, your first, you know, that interview for your first real job. It is completely acceptable for you to have that conversation as long as you do it in a respectful and collaborative way. So what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that we are probably not at this stage of our careers, although for some um, more experienced people, they may have a number in their head that they need to have and and they're okay with that. At this level of your career, I would say you fit more in the camp of he who mentions numbers first loses. That's pretty, you know, something that a lot of career professionals talk about and for some experienced professionals, they may take uh, an exception to that. But when you're just starting out in your career, I would say that it's probably true. You want to avoid being the one that brings up any kind of salary or mentions a number first. So how does that look when, of course, they're going to ask you for your expected salary range? If they're doing that and you have to put it in the cover letter, you can put in a, a researched range for that the position. I'd give yourself a good range of even ten to fifteen thousand dollars range. So, if you research that the position pays around fifty thousand, say forty five to sixty, so you've got that range in a cover letter where you have to put down your your salary requirements. You can also avoid putting anything. Sometimes the HR people don't even. Remember that it was in there, or they don't read the cover letters. Uh, data on how many people read cover letters is quite dismal anyways. Or you could put some kind of statement into in there that you look forward to discussing salary when you know that you're a good fit for the position. So you have choices on how you approach that. It might depend on your style, the company's culture. Talk to you, your advisors. Talk to the, the people who know your market and what option might be the best fit for you. So that's the first place that you might have to address salary is in a a cover letter or on an application. Then when you get into the interview, of course, you know, you're treating the interview somewhat like a date and we don't talk money, you know, you don't talk money on a first date. So we let the person who is interviewing you guide that conversation 
And then when they do ask you your salary requirements, you have the same kind of options that you can st- share there in the in the meeting. Or, you know, my first first thing that you do that you try is ask what range do they have budgeted for the position. So that's usually the first response I recommend to the salary question in an interview. When they ask what are your expectations, you ask what is the budgeted range for this position. Gives you an opportunity for them to mention the money first, gives you an opportunity to see what they're thinking before you have to answer. If they don't answer that or won't answer that and say, no, we really want to know what you want to make, then you can provide your research range. Well, based on research, this type of position in this geography pays, again, giving that nice wide range and and answering it that way. So you give yourself some opportunity, give yourself some wiggle room, show that you've done your research. And then you're working together with the interviewer to come to something that works. So this is what I've researched. I look forward to working with you to find something that's a good fit for both of us if this is you know, if I'm the right hire for this position. It's a collaboration, it's a conversation, and that's the best way, especially when you're first starting out, to have that salary negotiation conversation. We can work together to find something that works for both of us if I'm the right person for this position. Typically, they're not going to do that conversation anyways until they're getting ready to offer you something, and then you want to take the opportunity to think about it. So thank you for this offer. Who do I need to get back to and by what date? And making sure that you're talking to the decision maker so that when you want to negotiate, you can. So I looked forward, I read over your offer, very excited to get started with the company. After looking at the salary and and the requirements, how could we move closer to, to X? How can we work together to get closer to this and then having some kind of reason why. So looking at the requirements and the experience that you're looking for, I have X, Y, and Z, or, you know, my one story about vacation negotiation, because of course you don't just have to negotiate salary. Um, I, someone I know went in and nego- tried to negotiate salary and got told no, because they didn't really have a good reason. They just said, you know, well, I'd like three weeks of vacation instead of two. And the person said no. The next person went into exact same company and said, you know, you offer three weeks of vacation when someone has five years of experience. I have five years of experience. It just wasn't here. Can I have that three weeks of vacation? And they got it. So it's not just, you know, it's good to ask. It's great to have something that backs up and and kind of proves that you deserve whatever it is you're asking for. And again, no matter what you're asking for, it's always that collaboration. How can we work together to get closer to this? What are the opportunities? And and you're not offering it in a give it to me or I leave kind of language that's not going to go over well. So just as you're starting out in your career, don't be afraid to be discerning, ask great questions, and negotiate that salary so that you start off on a right foot. We'll be right back here again next Monday on The Career Confidant with another great guest. And we look forward to seeing you here. In the meantime, if you have any other questions or topics you think we should cover, we'd always love to hear from you. I'm at Marie, M-A-R-I-E, at careerthoughtleaders.com. 
www.thecareerconfidant.com. And we'll see you right back here again next week on The Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then. 